Good afternoon and welcome back to the Conservatarian Exchange on the Liberty Block. We have only two of our regular co-hosts today. Both Eds are here with us. Mike and Gina, unfortunately, are not. And we also have a super special guest here from New Hampshire. So I just want to welcome quickly Therese, and we'll get to her in a moment. Hey there. Hey, everybody. Uh, um, I just can't resist uh, talking about Liz Cheney because it definitely made my day and made my night. Um, it's probably because of Laser, because Laser happened to be in Wyoming over the weekend, and I told him to make sure it happens. And lo and behold, she lost by over 30 percent. And I can't think of any other possible cause. So we're going to give a shout out to Laser. Yeah, 38 percent. <laughs> 38%. Well, it would have been much less had laser not driven through, I'm sure. But I'm pretty proud of Wyoming, and I'm pretty proud that they didn't get complacent. And you say, well, everybody's going to vote against her anyway. I think it shows an incredible enthusiasm level. Um, I'm not quite sure what she's thinking other than a good job on MSNBC or CNN. Apparently, she's made $36 bucks in the last six years in Congress, which is not a bad gig. It's almost what we make here for doing the show on Liberty Block. So, um, Ed or Ed, you got any quick opinions on Liz Cheney's getting uh, thumped? Rhymes with? If only she could be removed today instead of on January 3rd next year. Ed M? I think it's a great result. I thought it would happen all summer. I said that last week, and I said last week that my expectation is that she's angling to be the vice presidential nominee for the Democrats in 24. I still think that. Okay, so she's not going to run for president as a Republican. A unification ticket, do you think, uh, her and, and Kamala? I, I don't think it's oh, a unification yeah. ticket. I think it's uh, it, it's an uh, in-your-face ticket. I, I think it's an anti-Trump ticket. Um, I know that the talk is from her that she wants to run for president and maybe run as a Republican. I, I can't imagine that she's that stupid. Or that I can't imagine there are people willing to spend money to fund that campaign. Um, I think that the people that are going to be willing to fund her would fund her to run on a Democrat ticket. Maybe she'll run to be the Democrat nominee, you know, for president rather than vice president. I don't know. Uh, I, I think her career in the Republican Party is done. And I think it was Newsbuster that put up the article reminding us of how loved she was several years ago. Um, I'm old enough to remember when Cheney was like the dirtiest word in the English language. And it's really amazing how even after they did it with McCain and Romney, you know, they build them up to take them down and they still fall for it every time. Well, I don't know. I, you think that she what do you think she's falling for? I think that they're going to stay with her. I think she's going to stay with them. Well, if she were to run as a Republican for dog catcher, they would trash her. So as long as she's doing what they want, True. fine. If she runs against them, they'll trash her like they did Romney and McCain. That's what I believe. I don't disagree with that. I, I, I can't imagine that she's stupid enough to think that she has any future in the Republican Party. Maybe she does, but you know, maybe she thinks it. I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. And no, it's our, a guy, the uh, governor of Ohio, who thought he was the answer to Trump. Kasich? Uh, yeah, Kasich. Yeah. yeah, he went for. One of the uh, guys at work we were talking about, you know, back in uh, 20 is like, or, or was it 16? Or one of the, yeah, 16, we we're talking about like 
the Republican primary because a lot of conservatives at, at, at work. And, and one of the guys said, oh, yeah, I like Kasich. And, and we all like looked at him like he was from Mars. Unfortunately, he was our boss and we didn't say anything. But uh, he yeah. was one of the few. Ed Maslish, you have any um, quick thoughts on this business that her husband is in a law firm that's representing Hunter? Does that matter to anybody? It just shows how slimy the whole... Incestuous. I think the word you're thinking of is incestuous. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it, it, it's grotesque. It shows, it shows that they all think that we're stupid and that we don't care about their corruption. Uh, but ultimately, not all that surprising. Yeah, I think it's so interesting how people keep or don't keep their last names, depending on the political value of it. There's so many people in Washington who don't change their names. They get married. So we don't realize that the head of one news agency is, you know, married to the chief of staff to the president, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's pretty tricky. Therese, before we introduce you and let you talk about your stuff, any comments on Liz Cheney? I just I'm encouraged that people are waking up and doing their diligence and figuring out who is who and what is what. And I hope the establishment and um, all these rhinos realize that they're in deep trouble, that we are we are not okay with it. I don't think people are waking up. I think Liz Cheney is kind of a special case. I think Liz Cheney (laughs) intended to put her middle finger up to the Republican electorate. And I think that it went, she just went too far. But if you look, if you look at the primary season, I mean, except for maybe Arizona and maybe JD Vance in Ohio, I mean, the rhinos have done pretty well, unfortunately. You know, let's, let's see what happens with Lisa Murkowski in, in our, in, uh, in Alaska. I mean, yeah, she's another that's one a that biggie. doesn't deserve to be there. That's a biggie. It's it's a slow go, but I think it's happening. I think people are at least getting more engaged, saying something is horribly, horribly wrong, and more and more people are at least tracking to politics than they ever did. You know, so I'm, I'm going to turn this over to Therese for a couple of minutes. Therese, you leaving me just as I'm introducing you? No, my okay. phone is um, Sorry. To Therese's credit, she was arrested for a horrific, horrific, violent crime about a year ago in New Hampshire. Um, I'm assuming that they let her out just for a couple hours to be on our show and she's probably got ankle bracelets, etc. So with no further ado, Therese, if you want to let everybody know about your horrific crime, I can vouch for Therese. She is 100 percent honest about what happened. So no doubts. Tell us what happened, if you like, and what you're doing, which is phenomenal. So you you pleaded guilty. No, no, I'm we're still waiting to find out. Um, actually, we're waiting on a motion to dismiss, but I um, am a registered nurse, foster mom. I adopted my two boys out of foster care. Hopefully they don't come in to interrupt us. But I, uh, between my boys being masked and not tolerating that, my all my coworkers, um, clinicians getting their religious exemptions uh, denied, I started to stand up for medical freedom and constitutional liberties and getting involved in the school board. So I'm a typical school board mom. Uh, nurse. And uh, one thing led to another. And I was at what we call an executive council meeting here in New Hampshire. We don't have a lieutenant governor. We have five individuals that make up an executive council. And they are the gatekeepers for federal money that comes into the state and reviewing the contracts. And there was uh, $24 million that was coming in COVID money that had a line item that if they were to accept that money, um, 
at any time the Biden administration, the federal government deemed a population a health hazard, uh, they would be obligated to isolate and quarantine them. And when I saw that language, I thought, this is not okay. At the same time, it was uh, October last year. So in Australia, you did have people going into these quarantine camps. And uh, so there was a big group called to action for people to rally and go to this meeting. And anyways, one thing led to another. I had become pretty vocal here in the Concord area, New Hampshire, texting, let's email, let's call legislators. Um, known as kind of a, a lead of this liberty movement that was giving the governor a hard time. And uh, so it was in that meeting on October 13th, sitting perfectly quiet. And here comes all these state troopers down the aisle. And out of the audience, they I was the first one to be tapped on my shoulder, but they tapped nine of us. Eventually, nine of us were arrested. Um, it was interesting because when we went in, we said, we're going to go in and we're going to sit perfectly quiet. We want to see them vote. We want to see where they land because they already know how we feel about this. And yeah, I was brought to the back of the room and told I was being arrested. And I said, why? And they said, disorderly conduct. <laughs> what did I do? Uh, they couldn't answer that question. They put me in the back of the paddy wagon and um, off I went. Two weeks later, I got my criminal complaint and it said that I said the word amen. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are, are you kidding me right now? And so we watched all the video. I'll, you know, we had all kinds of cell phones there that day. Nowhere could you see where I even said the word amen. And then time marched on in the case. They changed the charges when there was a bill of particulars. Show us where she actually said the word amen, you know, our legal team. And they changed it to, I recklessly yelled the word amen. And so they were like, okay, again, show us where she recklessly yelled amen. Everyone's sitting around her. No one turned their head to look at her. There's no sign that she did any of this. So then they changed the charge again to the fact that I uttered the word amen. And the only thing they have is a state trooper saying that they heard someone say it and it came from my direction and they recognized my voice from Facebook. So that's the evidence that they have. So uh, July 20th was our fifth hearing. They did dismiss one of the nine cases in that hearing. Uh, the rest of the eight of us are waiting to hear if they're going to dismiss our cases. The judge is looking at the videotape from the room that day. So it's just been a circus. It truly was the chilling. It was trying to take out the leadership. The DA actually said in this last meeting that um, they had individuals that were disrupting business, um, the ability for the government to conduct business. There had been a DHHS meeting about a digital registry where people had shown up and I wasn't even at that one, but they had a list of people that they felt were getting in the way of government being able to conduct its business. So they kind of had a list. They actually affirmed that in the last hearing, which was a shock to all of us. Um, You're a, practically is, is a it, January 6th interfering it, with legitimate government business. Well, does New Hampshire have any provision allowing you to petition the government for redress of grievances? So it, it does. I'm being a little snarky with that. I mean, right. You know what? How even if they're conducting business, you have a right to speak up. I mean, you have to be orderly. But, amen. That's hardly. I mean, I'm not right. sure how so that's redress, right. Yeah. Redress of grievances is one of the five of our first. Um, and you know, when our attorney team saw my criminal complaint, he's like, "Oh my gosh, they have a grand slam! Not only did they, you know, freedom of speech and redress their grievances, but also your right to religion." You know, the word "amen." So, but really, what it is is our governor, Governor Sununu. We had been doing honk brigades past his house. We did a text brigade. 
uh, you know, everyone at nine o'clock in the morning, let's all text them at the same time, tell them what we feel. I mean, we were just being unconventional, but we were totally being lawful and trying to get our voices heard. I mean, I had people who were losing their job of 28 years, but they hold the health insurance, their husband's going through chemo and their religious exemptions being denied and unconstitutionally, of course. Um, so, you know, it was just trying to stand up for what was going on. And, you know, it really opened my eyes to the, what we have going on here in New Hampshire, which it sounds like is all over the country. But what I didn't know is that New Hampshire were the live free or die state. We don't have helmet laws, seatbelt laws, and we also don't have much for trust account laws. So there's very little oversight over our trust accounts here in New Hampshire. So we're the little Switzerland where people can kind of hide money and launder money around. Nobody knows what's going on. And there's a reason I believe Epstein's, you know, significant other Maxwell was found here, hidden in the hills after a year. Um, the home bought with cash with the help of uh, it sounds like the Shaheens who own the law firm and the whole bar and all the, you know, judges that are appointed. It's just, it's, it goes every, it's like an onion, every layer I peel back, it gets stinkier and stinkier and stinkier. And so here you think you live in this great little live free or die, beautiful state and low crime. And then you realize, oh my gosh, our governor's brother works for the World Economic Forum and they're all about marching to this agenda and they think our constitution is outdated. And it's just, um, it's a little terrifying, but at the same time, it catapulted me into the front line of a liberty movement. And we simply called ourselves, We the People in H of New Hampshire. And we came up with an initiative that you know, what are they going to do, but try to buy our votes with name recognition. And if we could just assemble everyone who's like-minded and cares about our constitutional liberties and freedom and is not okay with this global agenda, and we truly vetted out all the candidates and did a block vote, maybe just maybe we could try and get the right people, you know, good legislators, but the slimy politicians elected. Um, I never knew the New Hampshire GOP did not vet people out. You know, I'm headed to the Republican, you know, county committee tonight. And like, what do you mean? What, why do we have a platform if you're not even going to make sure these people align themselves with the platform? Oh, no, no, we can't do that. We can't, we have to stay neutral till after the primary. And I realized, wow, there's a need. There's a need for someone to do diligence on these people, their character, who they're aligned with, their voting record, what their motives are. Um, and we should be able to come up with 30 decent people in this state and then assemble and get a block vote and get them in. And so on your um, on, uh, are you representing yourself on this uh, horrid uh, crime uh, you've committed or, or have you had to lay out a bunch of money for legal counsel? So right out of the gate, um, people donated $15,000 to a gifts and go that somebody that was there that day um, set up for us. And we had a retired attorney who still owns a large law firm out of Boston hear about the case on the Colner show. And he wanted, he reached out to take the case. So, um, you know, for 15,000 for nine people, he said he would, that would cover until we got to the point where we would, if we had to actually go to trial, then we'd have to relook at it. So, I mean, he's traveled up here five times for five different hearings. He's dealt with nine personalities and, you know, at $1,900 a person. So he's really done it um, for the right reasons. He's very liberty-minded and he knows the bar is very corrupt. 
So he has represented us. Um, if we don't have it dismissed and we have to go to trial, I think most of us at that point will just represent ourselves. Um, we may have, you know, more fundraising or something. And some of us may need attorneys just because it's not within our scope of comfort to, to present ourselves. But yeah, we're hoping that they throw it out. Um, it's amazing it's actually gone on this long, to be honest. There was a mother, Marilyn Todd, who's been big on voter integrity. She had her four-year-old sleeping in her arms. She was arrested with her husband, um, a retired preschool teacher, which they really meant to get Kelly Potenza, who was sitting in front of her. Um, it just, it's just so gross the way that they went about, I don't know. Teresa, and I know your, time, you your time is limited, Teresa. I want you to just tell us about Project Resolve, which is what I think you call it. Yeah, the Resolve initiative was basically me out the barn saying, we got a problem. We need to resolve this. It didn't work this hard for my two boys to have them not have a future. So the Resolve is just that. And it's pretty simple, basically started in April. Um, I wish we had two years versus four months to pull this off. But basically, it, the idea was, did I think I could find 100 people that truly cared about liberty? And I knew that I could. And if I could get those 100 to truly go get 10 people who understood they had to really truly go get 10 people. And we did that consistently for six months, we would have the block vote to bulldoze whoever we wanted in to our state house. And so we launched um, the voter integrity group it was like, well, the machines are corrupt. And they came up with the idea, well, what if we wrote the names in and it would force a hand count and you know, then we could do it that way. So we had debates, we assembled, we just had debates. Out of the debates, we opened up the website for a week for everyone to discern and decide and choose where we had multiple candidates. Um, that way it wasn't the Therese show picking the slate. It was actually the people participating in the initiative. And um, the poll closed on Sunday. We reported who everyone liked the most for our governor was really the big one. Um, Monday morning, and now we've updated the website. We've got a slate flyer that everyone can print out, plaster the market basket parking lots, their transfer stations, their churches. You know, everyone's going to grab a thousand copies and just plaster the town and say, you know, this is people, not millions of establishment dollars who have come up with who we think is the best for liberty. Um, hold on to this, put this in your wallet for the day you go to vote. Um, and I can say, you know, we've got a lot of different social media channels, the website, everything else, but the main Facebook group, um, we, the people in H had over 80,000 new profiles, look at it in the last 60 days and 9,000 in the last seven days. So it is, people are telling each other about it. And when we're out in the public, we are going to all the gun shows, we're going to, you know, the car shows, we're going to NASCAR, we're going everywhere we can where the people are. And we say, hey, New Hampshire Patriots are taking it back. Do you want in? And people are like, yes, please. Like, they're just so hungry for something. And the audience has always been who I was a year ago, which I didn't think about who I needed to vote for until the day of the vote. And, you know, I wanted, I wanted to provide something for my neighbor across the street, the mom who barely has time to turn the laundry around, that's going to call me up and say, hey, T, who am I supposed to vote for? And I'm going to be like, Angela, here. Here's my transfer of knowledge. I was in an opportunity and a place to do the diligence and I wanted to share you know, what I have and give people a trusted um, resource with, I have nothing in it. I don't wanna be a politician. I'm a nurse, I'm good with that. Um, but I also wanna make sure that I know who I'm voting for going forward. And so why not share that with other people? So that's how many, how many people do you think you need to vote 
in the primary to to win? So New Hampshire is pretty cool because we're very liberty minded. We have a large Republican population, a large independent population, we have a large libertarian population here. Um, so the last primary, there was 125,000 people who voted, and that was the presidential primary. Uh, the year, two years before that, it was 90,000. So I think the turnout will be bigger just because everyone's really upset about everything. But the reality is the numbers are very doable. Um, and so we're, we're going for it. Um, and we definitely are freaking out the establishment because they, don't, they didn't know who the lineup was and they didn't know how many numbers we had. So, you know, that them not having control it was really like freaking them all out. So instead of the New Hampshire GOP embracing what we're doing and realizing that we're going to be the wind in the sail for the right candidates, um, it was interesting to see their reaction. And um, it was very telling. I'm not sure I can think of any state GOP that's on our side anywhere exactly. in the country. Well, we were asleep at the wheel and the enemy knows where to attack and, you know, it doesn't play fair and it will masquerade itself as good when it's evil. And I think that's what's happened. So hopefully we can take the party back, but apparently there's a need for, I mean, third parties never work, writing campaigns never work, but the reality is at the end of the day, they're all fighting with dollars to get my vote. And I have the power, as long as we're on the offense, and we say, no, you, we're on the offense. This is ours. And we keep that attitude and we keep the hope and the courage and we draw people into something that doesn't take a lot of time. The reality is the troops are tired. They're weary. People have shut down. You know, a lot of them feel like my vote's not going to matter. So as long as you can energize the troops and you can assemble and you can say, I'm not going to ask you to commit to a whole lot. All I'm asking is for you to track what we're doing, engage as much as you want. You can jump on the Sunday Zoom call. You can get involved as much as you want, or you can just meet us at the finish line. Um, but we're here and this is what we're doing. And it's it seems to be working. I mean, we only had four months to, to try and pull something together. God blessed us with an insanely talented graphic designer, an amazing website producer, production commercials, all of that. I mean, people have said, who is funding you? Because we look like a class act, but it's really just a bunch of patriots pulling their resources together to make it happen. So it's, if nothing else, it's been, um, I will never have any regrets because we, we have come together as, and I feel like our children are in a better place because we have found each other. We had to assemble. We just, that's the key to this. We have to assemble. When is your primary? We just finished. The primary closed midnight of um, this last week. And uh, the group actually picked Karen Testerman. No, but I mean, I mean the New Hampshire primary. Oh, the new, um, September 13th, <clears throat> 26 days. See, 26 days. And do, is it, you don't have to answer this, but do you think now that Karen Testerman won in your vote that everybody in the group is going to get behind her? No. Because okay. they're human and they're liberty minded and they're stubborn. And I think the people who are tracking the politics in July and August are not, again, my ultimate audience. Um, my ultimate audience are the people who don't think about it until the day they have to go vote. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> I do think that they see the value in <clears throat> if we have three governor candidates and we split three ways, then Governor Sununu, who's the tyrant who everyone agrees needs to go, 
is going to get through the primary. So the whole point was, you know, even if I liked candidate A, but candidate B gets the numbers, I still think I'd rather see candidate B than Sununu get through. And to try and avoid the split of our vote going into the primary so we can actually get him out in the primary. Um, I think people, you know, are understanding that concept. <clears throat> Some people, every single day, people are like, oh my gosh, I wish I would have realized what the resolve was doing months ago. Like they're just feeling late to the party. So, you know, again, I haven't had anyone poke holes in it and say that um, we shouldn't do it. Of course, people out of the gate were like, oh, you're going to split the vote and it's going to go to the Democrat, which would be horrible because it's Sherman. Um, but my thing is, you know, the only reason it's going to end up going to a blue <clears throat> governor would be because everyone sat silent. You know, we've got a lot of liberty groups here in New Hampshire, and a lot of people are afraid that Sununu will stay in place, so they don't want to stand up and speak truth in public. They'll do it in private. Behind the scenes, they'll say, this man's a tyrant, he's retaliatory, he's evil, he's part of the global agenda. But then they get on WMUR, a news channel, and they're, you know, the Republican Speaker of the House, and they'll be like, well, we all love the governor, <laughs> even though he drives us crazy. And I'm like, you know, if you would just be brave enough to say it in public, but because of politics and they don't want to ruin their political career, everyone is staying quiet because they don't think their mentality is they don't think they can win. And it's that mentality that's going to end up sabotaging us. And so I just keep trying to tell people, you know, it's not us speaking truth and doing the right thing that are going to ruin things. It's your, it's your silence that's actually agreeing to evil. And, you know, that's going to be the problem. But we'll see. New Hampshire is an interesting state because it's small geographically, it's small population wise. But I'm curious if anybody in any state did what you did, because I think what you did was unbelievable grassroots. Mm. I mean, you, you tell everybody you couldn't have named two politicians a year ago and you've built this tremendous organization from scratch. I, I wish they had this everywhere. We've had a lot of people from a lot of other states ask if this is not international. And I'm like, nope, it's the backyard. <laughs> but you can go to our website. You can see everything we're doing and take it and recycle it. Just run with it. Like I license we the people in age, but just just the name, just so, you know, someone can steal our URLs and stuff. But what is your website? It is we the people in And, you know, anyone can take this and run with it. And people are having fun. So, you know, we do last um, Friday at the last minute, someone's like, let's do a sign wave with all the candidates at the big intersection in Manchester is a big city here. Let's meet at this intersection. And we had 25 people show up. It was only like a half hour notice, but we had so much fun. We had a Bluetooth speaker. We were waving our 1776 flags. We had the resolve banners out there. We had businesses stopping and giving us chicken tenders. We had people getting out of their car, giving us high fives. I mean, the energy is fun and, you know, the response to the cars going by is, you know, just really invigorating. So, you know, I said at the beginning, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm doing, and I need to get out of the echo chamber and I need to get going. And, um, you know, at the same time, we had like the convoys going on in Canada and that showed to me that human nature, the herd mentality, people want to do something. They just don't know what to do. And they're afraid to commit to something they can't stick to, right? And so 
this gave everyone something to grab onto. And it really birthed out of everyone calling me and saying, who are you going for governor? And at that point in time, I was really indecisive. I really didn't feel like I had enough to support one specific person. So the idea of let's support an initiative and then we'll use that time as we get everyone under the umbrella of the initiative to vet out the candidates. And instead of one person, let's get the top 30 and let's bulldoze it down. You know, Can I ask you a question? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great that you're doing this grassroots activism and it's helpful and necessary, but is it, my question is, is it sufficient? And let me elaborate, you know, last week we had the raid at Mar-a-Lago. You know, if you cross the feds, the FBI is going to step on you and squash you and the DOJ is going to squash you. Merrick Garland is telling parents that they're terrorists when they go to, to PTA meetings. Um, and, you know, I don't know all the details in New Hampshire, but from what I hear, Sununu is a tyrant. And if you stand up to him and speak out, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the Speaker of the House doesn't want to go against him. And my question is, don't you don't you need a few people, at least that are that are high level leaders in in government to stand up? I mean, just like it's just not acceptable in Washington, D.C. for Mitch McConnell and and Kevin McCarthy to be silent the way they are. You need people in in New Hampshire who are elected Republicans to stand up to this guy and and do something. I mean, you know, everybody knows, you know, people our age are old enough to know that, you know, Nixon didn't really give up, give up until Howard Baker walked up to his office and said, Mr. President, it's over. And and I think that that's you know, what do you think? I absolutely agree with you. I um, was actually in tears earlier today. Like, where are the men? Like, pull up your skirt and, you know, grow, grow a pair and, like, stand up. You got to be careful with that analogy today, don't you? Well, you know, in, in all honesty, there's all these liberty leads. And I'm like, guys, why are you waiting on the single mom of three disabled kids who's a hospice nurse? to? And I'm probably going to disappear in a Black man. So I'll tell you, reality is a good dear friend of mine. Um, runs a big production. He's from out of state, but multi-million dollar production at one of our ski resorts here every summer, three-day music festival. And because of the tyrants, I won't go into all the details, but they canceled his six-year contract. And there's money laundering going on at that ski resort. And all of that was being discovered under the audit. And he was going to interview with me on Sunday after the three-day event and tell me some of the inside from a different angle of of what he experienced with the general manager there at Gunstock, who it, I just, I can't even start to unravel the whole story there. Do you know whose family's house burned down that Sunday? Nope. My friend, Dan Russell, the man who produces that three-day event. So I know, I mean, when I go out at night, there's a good chance. I know two people who have disappeared here in New Hampshire. So yes, I am definitely putting my, my life in danger by being outspoken. But the best thing you can do with a narcissist, the best thing you can do with evil, the best thing you can do with prideful um, politicians is to speak truth and embarrass them in public. They do not like that. Well, and, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, what? and so the more I educate the public to the small little sound bites that make them think, what? How did, what are you, t-? the better, the more but the look more unraveled and more unhinged they become. And as they become unhinged and we become stronger, my hope is that it will be enough. 
but you're right. We are in a deep, deep mess and it may not be enough. I don't know, but I know I look will at what you're willing, Look at what you're willing to risk and compare that with these elected politicians who at worst, they're, they're not willing to risk losing their seat in reelection. We have, I mean, it's just, it's we, so, that's the problem. The We've state got citizens. Reps, yeah. The state, the state reps here make a hundred dollars a year. There's 400 state reps here. They're a dime a dozen. Right. And you've got Dr. Strang, who is a commissioner for that ski mountain that I'm talking to you about. And he went in there. He had he last thing he needed was more responsibility. He's the most principled, ethical man ever. But he knew something was wrong in that mountain. He went in there and he got onto the commission to do the audit, to find the findings, which would put our governor in jail, mind you. And he went in there and the state reps. This is a man who saved their lives from the ICU. One of them admitted to me he was suicidal two weeks ago and Dr. Strang talked him off the ledge. Do you know what they did? They turned their back on him and they went with the delegation to have him resigned without him even doing a resignation letter to get him off the commission so they can bury the audit until after the primaries. Like I can't even make this stuff up. And I, I said to one of them, I said, Dr. Strang, I feel like I'm watching Jesus be crucified. What are you doing? Why did you do that? And he said, he said, well, unlike Judas, at least I didn't take $100 or I didn't take any money. And I said, that's like saying I cheated on my spouse, but they were ugly. Like, what are you guys doing? What is wrong with you? How do you give up everything that's principled about you? A $100 state rep title is so important to you. You're going to throw a good man under the bus who's here to try and save us from a global agenda and tyranny and money laundering that might be tracing back to sex trafficking and pedophilia with children. Really, your $100 in your little state rep title, is that important to you? What is wrong with you? And I just, and these are people I've stood on the corner that had my back that I thought were in my camp. And they just turn because they don't want to lose their political click. Privilege. In, yeah, Privilege it's just is the right so word, right? ridiculous. And I'm just, I'm going, you know, I'm on call tonight, but I'm going to go to the Republican County Committee because one of those commissioners is there. Uh, Morse is there. He's another tyrant here. And I get in a crowd and they want to leave the room. They look like they're going to puke because they know I'm going to sit there and I'm going to call them out on what they did. And I'm going to do it in simple terms that anyone can understand. And they do not like being embarrassed. So yes, the likelihood is I will disappear in the black of a back of a black man. And I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with what it will do for my children, but I am okay with that because I cannot sit by and sit silent. I cannot. Now that I know what's going on and I hope my bravery will breed bravery and my courage will breed courage because it's only a matter of time. It's either, you know, we get to article 10 and we go into revolution. I mean, we need to do that anyway. Everything is just so far from what our founding fathers ever intended for us to be here in the United States of America. And either we're going to fight for what our forefathers did and we're going to fight for our future generations or we're going to lay down and it's going to be it, it, it's not going to be good. It's going to be what we have. I think you saw that in my, I'm using the word stack of stuff. Thank you, Rush. The article titled, The GOP Needs Firebrands, Not Milquetoast Politicians. And I know we've said that a million times on this show. The GOP, quote unquote, leadership. Forget about that. And I happen to know many of the people that Teresa's talking about. And I happen to know a small percentage of the people who, if not backstab, aren't there when you need them, even though you'd be shocked that they're not there when you need them. And people sucking up to the governor who 
absolutely stunned that they would suck up to the governor. So I, I can totally vouch that I know a little bit of what she knows, and it's all true. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. It was kind of a last minute thing, um, but I would love to come back anytime. And yeah, and I'm just gonna say and... three words. You go girl, because what you're doing is amazing, Therese. I'm trying and giving it my best. I resolve to go the distance. There's days I want to quit. That's for sure. But, well, you know, keep going. Call me when you want to quit. I'll talk you out of it. Thank you. Thank you okay, so much. Thanks guys. a lot, Therese. Thanks for coming by. Bye. Thanks. Um, yeah. yeah, what's surprising is not that um, the politicians are 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 whores. It's that they're cheap whores. You know, that's what really annoys me about politicians. I have to tell you, level. you know, Therese brings up really interesting points because in New Hampshire, it's not the money. They're not going to get $36 million in six years like Liz Cheney did. But I've watched it. People we're good friends with. And once you're in the legislature, it's the power, the glory, even though there's so little of it there. Is it the yeah. license plate? But they literally will stab people in the back. There's a few people up there who are extremely active, extremely vocal, who are literally sucking up to Sununu for no reason. And it's, it's horrifying. But I think her concept is amazing. She's just literally getting grassroots together, trying to put 40,000 people to vote for somebody. And 40,000 people in a small primary makes a tremendous difference. So it's going to be interesting to see if anything comes out of it. And by the way, you know, she was the, you know, she's the group of nine that was arrested. That's not talking about the crypto six that were arrested by the feds a year ago in March. With yeah, the, I mean, that's that's a whole nother story. But a whole this, nother this story. group of nine, um, you know, I, mean, I, I can't understand how it how it went past the first hearing. I mean, the, the, I mean, this the corruption must I mean, usually a judge. This whole thing is on video, by the way. This is not like a yeah. big secret. And you have Sununu like on the phone and texting and making gestures and troopers coming over to people and walking them out of the room. It's it's very, very scary. But again, you know, J6 and, you know, we're going to go back to the, the Mar-a-Lago raid and everything. And I know we kind of mentioned this last week. And there's two headlines I have up here. Extremism experts warn of echoes of January 6th in rightist response to FBI Mar-a-Lago raid, and then Kinzinger, Trump absolutely 100% inciting supporters to threaten law enforcement. And they're using this to keep everybody down. Even Bongino was like, don't fall for it. Don't let them bait you. So they have this in a perfect position. We cannot resist because if we resist, they'll say, see, it proves. Then if we don't resist, they'll say, see, Nobody minds what we're doing. And I think it's incredibly dangerous. Well, they as, don't I said last, as I said last week, I think that that was one of the purposes of the raid to lay the predicate for another January 6th. That's what I think is going on. That's what their plan is. They're, they're, they're planning on, on something much more sinister and, and much larger. It's interesting that they didn't play up that one guy who shot himself or killed himself near the Capitol the other day. I thought that was going to be their uh, Reichstag thing. But for some reason, they're not blowing that up. I'm not sure why. I mean, how are you going to take advantage of that? I think they're ready. I don't think they're ready yet. Um, I think that was, uh, you know, 
just a, um, a an early opportunity. They they haven't yet curated the appropriate um, attack uh, that would allow them to grab more power. So it takes them a while to uh, to sort of curate. Or, the or do they want to get closer to the election? Well, maybe I don't know whether the election means anything, though. I mean, I, I certainly, you know, if the Republicans take the House, um, th there will be some changes, but there won't be significant changes. You know, I mean, the whole Gen 6 committee will go away um, or maybe we'll get reconstituted with Jim Jordan in it or somebody who who actually cares to investigate. Um, but other than that, it's Kevin McCarthy is hardly any different than Nancy Pelosi, except he hasn't had enough time to enrich himself in the job. I mean, there's yeah, zero but, reason to believe that McCarthy will do anything, correct? Well, yes. In, well, I don't think McCarthy wants to do anything, no. But if if we keep going on the glide path we're on right now, the Republicans are probably going to win close to 100 seats. I mean, I haven't done a, a race by race breakdown. But it's going to be it's going to be much bigger than, you know, 2010 when they won, I think, 67. Yeah, uh, but the polls now, whether the polls are right or not, I know the polls are always wrong, but the, the polls now are shifting back towards the Democrats. I think that's uh, artificial from the standpoint of uh, of the pollsters, you know, uh, if they allow a with, free and fair election to go forward, the certainly six is going to be yeah. so large that even the, the swish, squishes like McCarthy are not going to be able to, to, to hold the tide back. Why well, not? Not at first. I mean, they'll continue to try and, and hold the tide back, but there's going to be such a repudiation if things go forward. I'm not convinced it's going to go forward, but if it goes forward and the Republicans win 100 seats, that's too large of a mandate. They have to do things. They can't just play play nice. Why not? Because then they'll lose again in, in two years later. They McCarthy know he doesn't think... care if he loses as long as we don't stir the pot. And I think Republicans are much happier not being in power than being in power and making trouble. And, you know, it's like New Hampshire in a way. New Hampshire has probably a solid hundred very, very strong libertarian Republicans in the legislature, but they're still crushed by the establishment leadership. So why would McCarthy, even if there's 150 Republicans who are like Jim because Jordan, he still can because, crush them? Because there are starting to be enough. Even now, there are a few Republicans that are willing to embarrass him, like MTG, Boebert, um, Matt Gates. Uh, there are a few, Massey, um, and if you get 100 more in, you're not going to get 100 firebrands, but you're going to get enough that they're going to embarrass the leadership if they don't, if the leadership doesn't do anything. I, I hope you're right. I don't think you are, because I think the leadership makes it so clear from day one that you will be absolutely destroyed if you don't vote for me, if you don't support me, that everybody gets cowed. I just, you know, we have a Freedom Caucus. What is that, 30, 40 members in the House? Yeah. But even them, how many of them do you hear of, you know, being vocal about it? I just think they're so good at crushing people in Washington. They say, if you want to get something accomplished, you have to play our games. Then they say to themselves, well, we're here to get something accomplished, and they play the game. 
I, I, even if there were 200 of them, I can't see 200 real leaders ever fighting in the House. And even if they did that, the Senate would squash them. It's, to me, it's all they can do is slow the destruction of the country. They'll never turn anything back. Even this new bill, which I guess you guys probably know more about than I do, this IRA bill, um, we're yeah. never going to repeal IRS it. IRS bill, you mean. Right. The IRS bill. Yeah. Right. I know, I'm bad at words. We, we're not going to repeal it. Right. It'll be like Obamacare. We'll promise to. But in the end, we'll, you know, cut a little. Yeah. When it comes here. off, when it comes to laying off 87,000 government employees, I can't see the Republicans, um, you know, growing a pair or not having the pair chopped off. I think that is the appropriate uh, well, we know, analogy these days. We know that next year Trump is going to likely announce that he's running and that's going to be one of his main planks that he's going to fire these people. And if DeSantis runs, I think he's going to be running on a similar platform. I don't I think that it's I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think that we're at a unique point. And I think the Democrats are smart enough to know that. I don't think that they're afraid of the Republicans, but I think they are afraid of the American people. And I think that's why they want to get gun control. I think that's why they're trying to arrest as many of us as they can. That's why they're trying to impose censorship, because they are afraid of us. I think they truly are. And I think that's that's what they're I don't think they trust us to to vote in the next election. I really don't. Yeah, but yet, you know, even look at it in the primaries. And I know people are talking about the Senate may not go that well for us as they may have thought a few months ago. Look what we've done to ourselves in the primaries with a Herschel Walker and Dr. Oz. We've already shot ourselves in the foot in so many Senate races. So why would they be afraid when they know push comes to shove? They sabotage us every time. Well, you know, I'll take Herschel Walker over, you know, Reverend Warnick any day. But he, will he win? In other words, do we have candidates who will win or are we just, you know, picking losers? I don't know. If he wins, of course, he'll be better. I mean, let's see what happens. Murkowski versus Palin. It's um, I, I just know, think. No, no, that's not. That's not. Yeah. I mean, okay, she's Murkowski's not against- running. For Senate, uh, Palin's running for the House. Good. Okay. But the establishment. So Palin's probably going to win. Mm-hmm. But are we going to get changed, rid of Murkowski? She's running against somebody, right? They they changed the election procedures um, to rank guarantee. Choice. Yeah. Yeah. Rank choice. There's nothing particularly wrong with rank choice as an election thing in, in the grand scheme. It actually allows third party candidates to be able to win, which is what we just talked about, um, something that in general we like. Um, it just so happens that uh, Murkowski is that uh, third party candidate uh, that benefits from it in Alaska. Um, so, I mean, generally speaking, I'm in favor of ranked choice voting. But, well, she ran um, third party in 2010, but she's not running. No, she party. ran right in. She was a right in vote. Murkowski. Right. That's crazy. Right. Joe yeah. Miller beat her in the primary. And then, right, because that's right. They had a, they probably had a sore loser statute. So she couldn't yeah. run on another ticket. Right. Right. So, but I mean, the, the amazing thing is that she's the only major writing candidate I've ever heard of who won. And I can't even imagine how that happened. Most people can't write their names, much less Lisa Murkowski's name. You know, one well, of her, her, dad, most voters. Her, her dad was a senator too. 
You know, yeah, because we yeah. have these dynasties and everybody's making a big deal of, thank God, there's not going to be a Cheney, Bush or Clinton. You know, their dynasty may be dead. But I want to move slightly to the FBI, because I think you guys shared the article from Colonel Schlichter um, about getting rid of the FBI. I think Bongino even has said it. But then you have Mike Pence up there. No, 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 no. This is not the way to go. This is as bad as defund the police. And again, the establishment will always be there to make sure that we never do anything. I I agree to a certain extent. Um, I, I think it is very radical um, to defund or or abolish the FBI. I, I I'm just shocked that the Overton window has shifted so much that this is now being talked about by sort of major not you know it's not. Brett Baer or, uh, you know, um, Sean Hannity or anybody who's the joke, but it, it is being talked about by major uh, people on the right is it's time to abolish the FBI. And I, I think that's an amazing shift in the Overton window. And, you know, it takes time for these things to, uh, you know, to become policy, but um, I, I think it's a positive development. Couldn't agree more. But again, my, my point is that the establishment will always come in at the last moment like McCain with his thumb and screw any real effort to do anything. Well, I'm not disagreeing with you. I mean, the FBI under J. Edgar Hoover collected um, dirt or manufactured dirt or, you know, with with honey, honey traps or um, other ways of manufacturing dirt on a large number of congressmen and senators. Now, Hoover justified, Hoover luckily was, his obsession was anti-communism. Um, and so that was, you know, that was luckily, of course, the current obsession is pro-communism, so that's probably bad. Um, but I, I doubt that that um, modus operandi has stopped under the current FBI when Hoover went away, um, it, you know, the idea of you know collecting or creating dirt on large numbers of um, people in the administration and in Congress is is probably still there. There's probably some you know secret office of the director, or maybe the director doesn't even know because you know quite frankly I don't think Christopher Ray knows anything. Um, that is uh, you know there's a safe with all sorts of information and there's a there's a little group of people who stuff it in and it can be used when it's necessary. And, you know, when, when Watergate happened, there was a thing called the church committee, um, which really looked at the CIA and, um, you know, the CIA, the whole Watergate break-in, you know, it, it was sort of a CIA operation, but it really wasn't sort of a CIA operation. It was a, you know, a bunch of CIA guys, but it wasn't like under the imprimatur of the CIA. Um, but they really looked at the CIA and they passed a serious law to restrict the CIA and other intelligence communities' ability to screw with American citizens. And it had teeth because I worked in the intelligence community when that law was operative and everyone was scared to death of doing anything that had to do with American citizens because they were personally legally responsible. That is, they go to jail. You go to jail. I would have gone to jail had we done any 
intelligence collection on American citizens. So it was a law and it had teeth and it was enforced. Uh, of course, everything got ruined by Bush um, after 9-11, that, all that got, got overturned. I, I, I don't know whether it was overturned in the Patriot Act or overturned you know, because the Patriot Act, but, but it's not impossible if the, for the, the government to rein in these intelligence agencies, at least a little, if there is a scandal big enough. And Watergate was thought to be, now I know we've had way more scandals that are much bigger than Watergate since then that aren't taken seriously. But to the extent that one comes that, um, and you know, this Mar-a-Lago raid, it yeah. might be it, it might be it. I think you know, it we don't it. know yet. It yeah, might the, be The difference it. is that was them coming against the Republicans and they do have the guts to do it. The Republicans will never have the guts to do it to the Democrats. But I, I well, think was there's something different about the Mar-a-Lago raid, and I th and the difference is I think it's just so in your face of the of the average citizen that um, unless you're just a, a a Trump hater and you're part of the Trump derangement movement, I think that the 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 ordinary person who doesn't even follow politics knows that something's not right about that. That that's Ed, Ed Maslish, can you speak for a minute? I think you've talked about it a little bit, this whole classification thing. If I understand correctly, you assert that Trump can declassify everything. And I know a lot of pundits out there saying, no, he's not in charge. So t tell me what you think is the truth with that. You talking to me or Ed Powell? You're Ed Maslish. I mean, I think Ed Powell knows as much about it as I do. But my understanding is that the president has the has the ability by himself to declassify things as a practical matter it doesn't always happen that way because of the way procedures run in washington but legally he does have the ability to just declassify and that's that's what makes the search warrant so suspect i mean in order to have probable cause i mean there's so many things that are wrong with with that raid right the 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 presidential records act doesn't even have a criminal provision in it and that's why every president in the past has just negotiated a settlement with with the with the government. Um, yeah. But even still, even if there were a criminal provision, you need probable cause in order to get a warrant. Well, probable cause of a crime. I mean, in order, let's just say hypothetically, let's just say he did have top secret information. And let's just say that hypothetically, he, it, it wasn't declassified. How would anybody have knowledge to put into an affidavit? that they know he didn't declassify anything. I mean, leaving aside the fact that just implicitly by him taking it, it's implicitly declassifying something. But forget about that. The affidavit has to say, I know what was in Trump's mind. I know every word Trump has ever said. Trump's never declassified that. How is it possible? The affidavit can't, it can't possibly support what they did. That's why they're trying to hide it, because it's obviously based on lies. Now, why would yeah, Reinhardt okay, so Reinhard release it? Well, he had no choice. At, at no, he's, point, tomorrow he's having a hearing, right? Right. He hasn't, oh, he this hasn't is the affidavit. Affidavit, yeah. Why would he release it? No, he's it? not going to release it. He's no. not going to release it. Or if he does, he'll redact all the interesting parts. 
for national security. I mean, I'm so, really, I mean, it frustrates me because I trust you and I hear these idiots out there saying he thinks he can just declassify on his own. Who does he think he is? There are rules. And I'm like, wait a minute, he's the president. Well, let's well, let's review. Let's review the whole classified information thing again. So there are. There's information that is classified by statute. That's nuclear weapons design information, also called restricted data. And there's um, information that is classified by executive order 12333, which is national security information. The, the protection of classified information is um, done by contract as well as by the Espionage Act. So when you get briefed into a program, you sign a contract that says, if you reveal this information, um, you go to jail if you, um, if, if you reveal it in some way. And that's kind of how they get around the fact that there is no statute protecting um, national security information. So you can store classified information, depending on its classification, um, in houses. I could, I don't, but I could have, you know, upgraded security and a safe and, you know, all the things that you have to go through to have cl classified information in my basement here. I could do that if I wanted to pay the money and there was a, there was a real need for it from a program perspective, I, I could do that. And so it's all, it's certain that Mar-a-Lago has gone through this process as well. So, I mean, it is a hundred percent certain. Um, then there is, you know, top secret information, which has to be protected at a, at a much higher level. Um, the, the problem is the president of the United States doesn't have to obey any of those rules uh, and the vice president because he is the source of those rules. It's like the queen not having to have a passport, right? I mean, it, it, it. so the question is, when he violates the procedures set out for declassification in executive order 12333, is he violating the law? And of course the answer is no, because an executive order has to do with his subordinates, how they have to behave. It, right. an, exec, an executive order doesn't bind the executive who is signing the executive order. Now, as far as the executive order 12333, yes, there is a process for declassification of documents. Um, but that's if the bureaucrats want to declassify documents, not if the president wants to declassify documents. Not just bureaucrats, Ed, but say secretaries of state who have private servers in their home. And okay, gets yeah, so then, then, then we get to a, a completely different uh, part. So in each, in each place, there are people who are called original classifiers and there are people who call derivative classifiers. And original classifiers, these other than the president, they get to determine what's classified and what's not for their information. So for instance, if there is um, information that is generated from the State Department, generated from the State Department, that is like 
uh, a diplomatic cable talking about a conversation between, you know, this this uh, ambassador and some other ambassador. That is classified under the authority of the Secretary of State. She's an original classifier and she can declassify that. But if there's intelligence information that is classified by say the CIA or the NSA or military information classified by the Department of Defense, then the Secretary of State does not have the right to declassify that. Only the originator of the information has the right to declassify that. But of course the president sits above all of this. So if Hillary had only State Department information, if, if those emails saying, oh, just strip the classification off and send it, were, if that information was generated solely by the State Department, yes, she has the right to do that. If it was intelligence information, no, she doesn't, and she's breaking the law. And I didn't go into it. I didn't go into the actual facts of that particular case because there were so many classified emails. Um, I, I tend to think that it was military and, and IC information that she was sending and storing on these, uh, you know, uh, on the internet, basically. Um, so I tend to think that she was uh, breaking the law, but I can't, you know, it would be a question for the jury, basically. I, and I'm not a juror. I wouldn't be, I, I yes, in the sense no, I have No reasonable facts. prosecutor would, would go there. Right. But you cannot prosecute, the, the basic thing is you cannot prosecute the, uh, the president for violating executive order, period, under any circumstance. So why don't people... Are they just lying or they're stupid? All the people who well, say the, he's breaking the rules or the, both? Um, the, 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 well, the press are idiots, right? Um, because they're and constantly liars. fed. Yeah, they're all liars too, but they're constantly fed classified information from their, from their leakers, right? I mean, Comey leaked classified information to um, New York Times or a friend to New yeah, York well, Times. One second. When's he eligible for parole? Yeah, exactly. Um, so- <laughs> From the reporter's standpoint, they don't think, they believe the hype. You know what I mean? I, I've been exposed to a lot of classified information in my career. And to be honest, you obey the rules because they're the rules. But if it were me, most of it's just, most of it's over classification. You know, most of it's classified to keep it out of the taxpayers, not the Russians, you know. Um, now, some of it is obviously like the nuclear weapons information. We don't want that floating around. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I, it's, there's a lot of overclassification. And now they're doing a lot of essentially classification of unclassified data um, to it's, it's very much a control. They think adding more and more controls over information is going to be the way to keep the Chinese from stealing all our stuff. And so far, it hasn't worked. But well, I know. didn't know the Chinese was stealing it. Didn't Clinton give it to them and didn't McConnell give it to them? But they don't need to steal anything anymore, do they? I have a very funny story about the Clintons, but I can't tell it on the Internet. Someday over a beer, I'll tell you. It's a very sto funny story about the Clintons. Anyway, um, I don't see what I, I, I don't see what the crime is if he declassified it. Now they might be arguing this. Suppose there's a document marked talk secret and Trump says, uh, and it's about Crossfire Hurricane, which apparently this, all of this information was about the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. Um, suppose he said, you know, this is uh, declassified and he takes it to Mar-a-Lago and he, he puts it in a safe. And then 
uh, Biden gets installed and um, Biden then says, oh, that document that Trump has um, that he declassified, I'm going to classify it again and sort of make him into a criminal. Um, I, I would not put that past the current administration. I don't know how you would litigate that. Um, because once a document is unclassified, I don't think you can reclassify it. Although there are cases where people, but how can you classify something that's not in your possession? Well, he took a copy, so obviously there's some, you know, there's obviously some copy of it somewhere. You know, and they keep we're, we're, we're even leaving out the point that he probably did not take any of it. I don't get it. Well, he didn't pack any. Of I know boxes, this. This whole course. thing is so he didn't transport it. I don't yeah, believe he yeah. has any idea right. what's in those boxes. Well, and that gets back to what I was saying about the affidavit. The affidavit would have to say, have to have sworn testimony that Trump knew he was breaking the law. There's no. And the weird thing way. is, it's, it there is allegedly a leak in the Trump camp. Um, Laura Trump thinks it's Jared Kushner. Laura thinks Kushner is sucking up to. Um, the current administration by by betraying i'm not i don't know i'm just telling you what she said um so there is a leak there and it was on that person's testimony that this affidavit was sworn and therefore the affidavit will not under any circumstances be uh made public or if it is made public all reference to who it was and anything that could possibly lead people to know who it was will be redacted by the judge but if it is kushner or someone in trump's inner circle uh not like the secret service you know somebody said it might be the secret service it might finally wake trump up to the um the fact that he's got to do better <laughs> in picking the people around him okay. because it, it, he's won the nomination now, this whole thing, you know, I mean, nobody can go up against it now. That I, it's an interesting thought. I'm not sure. I agree. I want to talk about a couple other things. Can somebody, uh, none, neither of you guys are Catholic, right? I know Ed, you're not. No. Ed P you're not Catholic, uh, no. right? I, I, Anybody I want to talk about this Catholic. rosary business? what the rosary being treated as an a extremist symbol extremist. yeah what, can you explain it i don't even know exactly what a rosary bead is but a rosary is a bead and um basically there are prayers associated with every bead and the rosary is a a reminder of the prayers you're supposed to say so are they labeled as you, no but you, okay. you learn it okay you learn it when you're a kid you know and so you know which particular aspect of the prayer you're saying, and you could look this up on the internet if you care, but, um, but it, it's just a, it's a, it's a remembrance of a certain set of, of prayers and, a, you know, a mnemonic ref, uh, okay. remembrance. And then, and, and then, um, but then the rosary itself has, you know, religious significance um, to Catholics uh, because it is a stand-in for these particular prayers, just as like the cross would have a religious significance or the kippah that you are wearing has a religious significance beyond normally just wearing a hat. Okay, you know so if, I mean? if it were a Muslim prayer bead, it would be treated with incredible reverence is what you're saying. I'm, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And now it's turned into some kind of extremist weapon or something? 
I, you know, again, I have, I, I have nothing. They're crazy. You know, they're, they're, they're crazy. It's the same with the Gadsden flag. You know, the Gadsden flag is now an element of extremism. It's like Virginia, like a third of the license plates are Gadsden flag license plate. I almost got one, but um, I wanted to put more CO2 on my license plate. Um, but my wife said that my car would be keyed. So I probably does anybody know if if the Pope is standing up for the rosary? Uh, I, I want to know don't... if the Pope is actually Catholic. I, I was about to say it's the joke is the Pope yeah. Catholic. You can't it's not yeah. a joke anymore. No, it's, he's he's communist. But no, uh, I haven't heard that the Pope. It's not clear that the Pope even knows about this. I mean, this is going this should be a big deal. Again, if this were a Muslim something or another a prayer rug, this is a right. big deal. Isn't this a billion Catholics in the world? Right. Of course, the Pope yes. knows about this. He doesn't want to speak up on it. Oh, I don't think the Pope knows about it. I don't think anybody knows about it except like the. You would be shocked at the trad Catholic. Um, there is a subset of Catholics who are not happy about Vatican II, ref, the reforms of Vatican II back in the 60s, and prefer, for instance, to go to a Latin mass and to have everything sort of back before Vatican II. They are called trad Catholics. They have a number of other things. And uh, I, if very few people know about that movement outside of the Tried Catholic community themselves. So I, I I think this is going around in the right wing and trad Catholic community, but not outside of that. Like my I mom, mean, who watches Fox News religiously, will never have heard of it. I mean, the Pope should issue like a fatwa or something. A fatwa, yes, yes, a fatwa. Well, guys, why don't we talk about the fatwa? We're gonna get to that in a minute. I want to just if one of you wants to comment on the uh, the attorney that DeSantis fired is now suing. Are you following that? I had not heard, I that, heard he that lawsuit. Yeah, it was in the I, papers, I, I think, today. It. He's saying that he, A, didn't have the authority, I think, to fire him. And B, they're claiming it's First Amendment. He hasn't actually done anything. He just said he would do certain things. But do you have any clue where the law stands as far as the governor's authority over these people over elected official my understanding I, is that there's some special provision in the florida constitution that authorized what desantis to do what he did but i don't have any specific knowledge of what that provision is or what it says yeah i read it when it was there it had something to do with um neglect of duties or abuse of office and uh, you know that sort of thing and i i I tend to think that, um, you know, these are obviously, there are two sides to whether he neglected his duties. And so maybe it is uh, litigable. I, I have no idea. I mean, maybe it is, but. Um, I think DeSantis is pretty smart. And I can't imagine he would have done it willy nilly without having something to back him up. But then again, you could probably find some judge to really muck this up. Because I have a feeling that, you know, the Soros groups and everything else, this is a big deal for them. Because if you can fire a prosecutor for going against Soros, that messes up a whole bunch of stuff. Well, he's firing them for going with Soros, not against Soros. Right, but that's what I mean. In other words, if he gets away with firing this guy, then that kind of gets in the way of Soros's whole national plan of prosecutors refusing to uphold the law. 
So I would assume he's going to fight it. It depends on the constitution, though, and the the constitutional power of either the district attorney or the state attorney or whatever the the office is. Yeah, in Virginia, for instance, the the state uh, you know attorney general is an elected constitutional position too. So, and then you know he he. I don't know whether he appoints or he helps appoint, uh, you know, the the lower attorneys, or maybe they're elected. I, I don't recall voting for him, but maybe they're elected too. Anyway, um, removing a constitutional officer or, or, or an independently elected person is very hard. And judges, ta- judges tend to take a dim view of that. And so I would think that no matter how clear the law is in, um, Florida, that that this will be a hard case for uh, DeSantis to win. Although he has already won. The guy's out. He's out. But unless it would say specifically that they're impeachable, they wouldn't be? Uh, The impeachment would be from the, you know, whatever the state House of Representatives. Right. But in other words, would there have to be a specific thing in the Constitution saying they're impeachable or else they're just not removable at all? Well, no, I mean, it just depends. I mean, it depends on whether the person is an employee or an elected official. If he's an elected official, it depends on what the Constitution says about the election. And if he's just an employee, it depends on state law on hiring employees. In this case where he's elected, unless the Constitution would specifically say you can impeach him, you probably would not be able to, correct? Well, DeSantis didn't impeach him. He, he suspended him. No, so what I'm asking is... There's very little then to stop anybody from becoming a prosecutor and just sitting down and watching TV all day. He's beholden to no one. And that's well, a little I mean, and, and on the flip side, any elected officials that way, if I'm DeSantis and he gets re- and this guy gets reinstated, that's what I would assign him to do. Sit him in a rubber room. You can watch TV all day. That's your job. And I think that's something that a president who is on top of things. Um, so like not Trump. 45, but maybe Trump 47 would do with the um, with some of the bureaucracy in um, the federal government. For instance, uh, Trump had this idea and it was a very interesting idea because it was in a um, it was in an episode of Yes Minister or Yes Prime Minister back in the 80s, where you take these government departments and you get them out of Washington, you move them, you know, into the rest of the country. So the Department of Agriculture would go to Kansas and the Department of Education might go to, I don't know, Cambridge, Massachusetts, or what, you you know, pick something, Uh, pick something appropriate. Um, Department of Energy would go to Texas, that sort of thing. And um, this, of course, would be a disaster for all the bureaucrats because they don't want to move to Texas or Nebraska or whatever. And that was the idea is to is to get rid of it, or at least that was the idea uh, in Yes, Prime Minister. but one of the things you could do is like, okay, FBI headquarters, you are now in, you know, North Dakota. You could do that. It's true and that Mike, Mike Crow's not here. I, when, uh, when Chris Christie beat uh, John Corzine in New Jersey in 2009, on his way out the door, John Corzine signed this agreement with the, with the unions that basically made it impossible for Christie to fire them for I don't know how many years. And and I was writing a blog. I was running a blog at that time. And we we argued that 
Christie, if Christie really has his hands tied and can't do anything, he should just order them all, you know, to giant stadium or some big rubber room and we'll pay you. You're not doing anything, but you will pay you. You'll get your full salary. You get, you get to have fun, but you're not going to do any more damage than you've already done so far. And uh, of course, Chris Christie wasn't interested in our proposal, but um, we, we, uh, we made some noise in the state about it. And that's, I, that's what I think needs to be done. If you can't fire them, embarrass them, shame them. And, and, yeah. and, I, and part of the proposal that we gave was Christie should not only make them sit in a rubber room all day, but he should have a press conference every day reminding all the, all the electorate, you're paying for these guys to do nothing, all because Corzine insisted on giving them a freebie. And it would be yep. free. It would be like free election publicity every single day. No, and, and you winning. should do it with the federal government too. Even yep. if you can't move them to North Dakota, just uh, there's lots of empty federal buildings. Just pick one, transfer them there. No internet, no phones. That's it. I'd give them internet and phones too. Ed, you wanted to talk about the FATWA? Well, yeah, I mean, Salman Rushdie, it was an author. I have not read the, the Satanic Verses. I might read it. It's said to be a kind of a weird book, uh, and it's 22 hours long, so it's kind of a long, weird book. Um, but, you know, maybe I will read it now, um, listen to it. Was attacked on verses. stage. We're living the Satanic Verses. Was attacked on stage uh, in New York uh, by a crazy person who had had uh, multiple contacts with uh, Hezbollah operatives. Um, which is an arm of the Iranian uh, IRGC, the terrorist arm of the Iranian government, um, and was almost killed and was on a ventilator for a while. He is apparently off the ventilator and talking. He uh, might lose an eye, I hear. Uh, he might um, you know, be in the hospital for quite some time. I, I don't have anything to say about Rushdie, positive or negative. Like I said, I haven't read his book, so I don't know anything about it. I do know a little bit of, uh, about the story of the satanic versus, uh, you know, historically um, fr from the Qur uh, Quranic perspective, because I've read a lot about that. Um, but it was uh, back in the early 80s, or no, late 80s, when he published this book and Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran put out a, basically a, a contract on his life um, and it's taken them, you know, 30 plus years to uh, get around Rushdie's security, but he certainly should have had better security. I think that the most important part of the story is the decline of respect for free speech in America. I mean, where was the outrage that somebody is being attacked for what he said? And, you know, well, I mean, where was the outrage back in 1987 or whenever it was? I mean, there was no outrage from anyone. In fact, everybody fell all over themselves. Now, he was living in Britain at the time rather than the United States. But everybody in the press, everybody in Britain, everybody all over Europe um, got down on their prayer rug facing Mecca and uh, and uh, gave in to the Ayatollah and said, oh, well, this is this is a horrible um you know, insults to the religion of peace, and uh, he should never have done it. And so no one has defended Rushdie um, over the years. I think uh, Joe Rowling, uh, J.K. Rowling came out in, in favor of Rushdie. Of course, she's under her own uh, threats for mm -hmm. 
believing men are men and women are women. Um, she gets death threats all the time. Of course, everybody gets death threats. Matt Walsh is getting death threats. Uh, you know, everybody on the internet is getting death threats that, who's really popular. Uh, I haven't gotten one yet for this show, but I'm waiting. It's, it's just, it's absolutely appalling. And I'm, I haven't heard anything particular by any of the chattering classes in favor of uh, Rushdie's freedom to speak. Well, what did people say when Charlie Hebdo was attacked? Did anybody care? There are a few people who cared, but not very many. Yeah. So I, I mean, when when you know the the story of the Quran, none of this is true, obviously. But the story of the Quran was that um, that uh, the angel Gabriel came to uh, Muhammad and started uh, giving him messages each night from uh, uh, God, from Allah. And um, he memorized them each night and then continued to memorize them. And then uh, when he started his military medical career in, in the, in like 622, when he got kicked out of Mecca and went to Medina and then, you know, eventually took over Medina and then attacked uh, Mecca. And took, it's not even clear Mecca was a thing back then. So it, it, none of this is true, but um, he kept, he kept, changing his mind from a military political standpoint about what to do. Um, again, this is, you know, reconstruction. And so he would, you know, come up with new verses that say, oh, well, Gabriel last night said, uh, we can do this. And then, you know, two weeks later, it's like, well, you know, Gabriel said we can do this. And so there's a lot of the Quran, which is self-contradictory. And, and the weirdness of the Quran is it's, it's, arranged in chapters, but the chapters aren't in chronological order. They're in order from the largest to the smallest. So it's, and, and the translation from the Arabic means that like 20% of the sentences in it are completely unintelligible um, because that, you know, the Arabic doesn't have vowels just like Hebrew. And so you have to put vowels in and depending on which vowels you put in, the words have different meanings. And, and so like 20% of it's, if you looked at like from a scholarly perspective and not from historical perspective, 20% is completely unintelligible. So people have read into it all sorts of things. They've tried to reconstruct it from a chronological perspective. There's lots of stuff that um, that doesn't make any sense. And there's lots of stuff that contradicts a bunch of other stuff. Um, you know, there are a lot of contradictions in the Bible too. I'm sure you know a, a lot about the Hebrew Bible. I know a little bit about the Christian New Testament. And, you know, there are a lot of things that are, that are contradictory there too. But because the Quran is supposed to be, you know, the word, the, the literal perfect word of God, all these contradictions are a problem. And there was this one tradition so that, well, um, some of these verses uh, where, you know, the Muhammad changed his mind, you know, because of some military situation, uh, must, have been, must have been whispered in his ear by Satan. And so they were the satanic uh, verses, the one, you know, cause there's the ones that say be, you know, be peaceful. And he was very, very, very into peacefulness. When Again, Muhammad probably didn't exist, but to the extent that he did, he was very into peacefulness when he was not in power. And when he was in power, he was very much into making war. So, uh, you know, a lot of the verses are, contradictory and there was this tradition in some parts of islam that some of these verses were 
whispered by Satan. Now, Orthodox Islamic scholars don't believe that, but this was a tradition, and that's kind of where this uh, was publicized by uh, uh, by Rushi in this book. And uh, the the typical thing among experts is they they don't like you. The exoteric esoteric split, right? Uh, among us, you know, we can talk privately about things that you can't talk about. That, that. You just froze. Yeah, you froze out. Oh, now, it's now you hear back. me now. Yeah, now huh. you're back. Oh, my internet connection is unstable. I have one gigabit symmetric a wire line. So I don't know why. Probably Verizon. Maybe anyway. Allah was smiting you. Allah was smiting my internet connection. Yeah. Anyway, so the esoteric, exoteric, right? It, you can talk about controversial things in your closed group of insiders, but you can't talk about them to the general public. This is what Galileo got in trouble for. The, uh, everything Galileo said was well discussed within the Catholic Church at that time. The problem was he wrote it in Italian for a general audience and he made fun of the Pope. Um, and so it, it's the same thing with the Satanic Verses. The Satanic Verses was something that was relatively well known within scholarship of Islam. Um, controversial, of course, you know, but it's, oh, I'm going to publish this book in English and put it out to, you know, 3 billion English spe speaking people in the world. That's what got Rushdie in trouble. All right, guys, we want to wrap up soon. So real quick, what didn't we talk about that you wanted to talk about? Go ahead. Ed. Um, I think the only thing that we didn't really get to was um, the Communist Party in China started uh, knocking down some cities. And uh, the, the economic news coming out of China keeps getting worse and worse every day. Um, we really don't know what's going on, but it's definitely something to watch. Well, I, I'm going to uh, use my last thing to talk uh, about one of my favorite Substack uh, uh, publishers or writers uh, who goes by the pseudonym El Gato Malo, uh, the bad cat. He noticed that on the CDC's website, under their facts about mRNA COVID-19 vaccines, there was a silent update to the website before it said, the mRNA and spike protein do not last long in the body. Our cells break down the mRNA and these vaccines get rid of it within a few days after vaccination. Science es scientists estimate that the spike protein like other proteins our bodies create may stay in the body up to a few weeks. That paragraph was simply removed from their facts about COVID vaccine without any acknowledgement or anything. You know, it it's interesting because memorable. I heard that there was an actual physical sighting of Winston Smith the other day. So now it makes sense. <laughs> it, it was, it's, it's shocking the amount of, I mean, that, of course it's not shocking to us, right? But it's, it, it really is shocking the amount of corruption that is going on in every aspect of the federal bureaucracy. And for people like us who just assumed the CDC was studying diseases um, before 2019, um, the, the fact that they are utterly and totally corrupt and in the hands of, of 
uh, very vicious oligarchs like Bill Gates and uh, Klaus Schwab uh, and the pharma companies, it, it ha has actually been a shock to me. Um, uh, but it's, you know, we should have known. We should have known. In addition to what you, the one you pointed out, Ed, I mean, we also didn't talk about how the CDC updated its guidance generally on COVID and, you know, specifically unvaccinated and vaccinated are now to be treated the same. That's pretty interesting. We were, and I hope everyone who's been fired, I hope everyone who's been fired because they didn't get the vaccine uh, sues. Well, there was a big lawsuit that was won. Was it California? I forget where it was. Like $10 million lawsuit. lawsuit. I'm sorry. We talked about that. The Illinois lawsuit. We talked was about that Illinois? a week or two ago. I think there was another one I just saw. Um, healthcare workers fired. Is that Illinois? Um, I'm looking. I think that was the Illinois case. Yeah, Illinois. Okay. But this article is from August 15th. That's just two days ago. A healthcare workers fired over vaccine mandate awarded $10 million in settlement. That's interesting. Does it say which... Uh... Was it a healthcare system, a hospital? Um, let's see which one. Let me look. Um, their hospitals, Illinois District, Northern District Court. Yeah, North Shore University Health System. Yeah, that's the one from. It's a class action, and they yeah they the settlement. It's interesting. So I don't know why it just popped up two days ago again, but yeah. The rewriting of history again, you know, make 1984 fiction again, as they say, it really is amazing that we live in a free country where they're doing the exact same thing. It's scary as heck. Well, maybe maybe next week we'll, we'll talk a little more about maybe why they're doing it. I mean, why are they relenting on COVID? Is it just that the, the scientific evidence is becoming so overwhelming that they can't maintain the lie? I think, you know, the, the weird thing is, I, I think that their, um, their ability to censor has started to fail pretty badly. And especially when uh, Tucker is talking about this. Now, I think we're ahead of the curve, um, but Rumble and Substack and locals are getting very popular very popular. I know I subscribe to a bunch of people on Substack on various things, some COVID related, some not. Um, and I, I, we watch Rumble, I do, and I have some local subscriptions as well. And I don't think I'm the only one who has jettisoned the mainstream media, at least, you know, a great deal of the time for the alternative media. And you just can't, if, as long as the, the rumbles and the substacks stay free, um, and so far they are, and they're monetized, um, I think it's, it's very difficult. It, it, it's very difficult for them to maintain the lie. I mean, because email is still free. And so if you see something on substack, you can email them. It's it's very it, it's back to the old days. Remember the old I mean, days. Where email you, is slightly censored. Yeah, Google well, controls half Gmail, of it, and if if you have Gmail, it can be censored. But if you use something else, it's not censored. Um, remember the old days back in the day? You'd see an interesting article, and then you you'd forward it to like ten friends, and then you get these long email chains. 
Well, that's what we've had to go back to. Um, and, but it's working. And I think that's one of the things. And when it gets to Tucker and he puts it on like he did before he went on vacation about the fact that the vaccines don't really do what the people say they do. Um, there was an article this morning, for instance, that showed that in Pfizer's own data from the trial, 40% of the pregnant women had miscarriages. The normal rate among pregnancies is 10 to 15%. That alone, it's a, this is in Pfizer's own data. It's not some other guy, it's Pfizer's own data. That fact alone should have banned the use of the vaccine among pregnant women. Not to mention the fact that it should have had a huge red flag for everybody else. So I, I, I just wanna make out. one more comment. Am I correct? The Mar-a-Lago raid was on August 8th. Yeah. Was that not done on purpose? I don't know. What's August 8th? Do you remember the, the big stink they made that something was going to happen on August 8th a couple of years ago? And they said that that was Trump's dog whistle, that it was Heil Hitler. Do you remember that business? Oh, eight, eight. Yeah, yeah. Remember, yeah. they made a whole thing that this is a dog whistle and this is a Nazi thing. I, and I'm just curious if that was this in your face Nazi thing. I, no one else has commented on the fact that it was on 8 8. I didn't even remember hmm. that. It was a, they made it's, side check. Um, and they deal. took 14 boxes. So 1488. You see, that's see. Even worse. I'm kidding, of course. Okay. You never know. You never know. <laughs> Remind us about the Spanish Armada. <laughs> You never know. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up for today. Be back next week, hopefully with our full compliment. And we wish everyone a great evening. Please send feedback to the Conservatarian Exchange at libertyblock.com. And please buy and review all of Liberty Block's great books. Have a wonderful evening.